0: You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. We've been in a series that we started a couple weeks ago called Disconnected. And along honestly with worship this morning and just, just kind of the general sense of what I feel like the Lord is doing, I want to encourage you with something. I want to start this message off by just giving you a statement that I've come to be, uh, I've found to be true, come to realize is true for my life over and over again. And, that, and it's simply this God always wants more for you than he ever wants from you, he just always wants more for you than he ever wants from you. Now when you open up the Bible and you read it, there's a lot of stuff that God actually wants from us. There's, there's a cost to following him. But oftentimes the cost that we pay is really so that we can get the bad stuff out so we can get the good stuff in. And so I just want you to understand, God actually has more for you than he wants from you. In this Disconnected series, we've been talking about pulling ourselves back a little bit from entertainment, media, tablets, devices. And again, I told you from the beginning, we're not gonna have a phone burning outside afterwards. We're not gonna do that. But we do live in a world that is rapidly changing where for a lot of us in this room, if we left our house without this, we would be naked or not sure how to handle things or what to do. Worship this morning pointed at a very simple truth. It's just Jesus. And I wonder how many times we miss Jesus because the world is so right in front of us. It's no longer that you have to go outside to see the world, it's that the world is coming into us. And we allow it in there. And so what this Disconnected series, it's a reminder that if you made a decision to follow Jesus, there's simply more of him that you can actually have. And this morning, the title of my message is simply this, ready? Better than happy, better than happy. The word blessing in the Greek is uh, is makareos, um, which sounds a whole lot like a song from the late 90s. Okay, sorry, that's kind of a weird juxtaposition between end of worship that was awesome and then a Macarena dance on stage. And Macareos means more than happy. Now, I want you to download this thought again that God wants more for you than he wants from you and really I believe with all my heart that God wants you to be blessed I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. This isn't that kind of blessing, because sometimes the blessing that God brings into our life is not material. In fact, the greatest blessing that God can bring into your life oftentimes is relational. It's his presence in our life. It's the people who he brings in around us. Either way, I want you to understand these things as kind of foundational thoughts, okay? I'm gonna start off with the verse. These are gonna be on the screen. And actually, if you can, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. We're gonna be there a little bit later on. And those verses are not gonna be on the screen. So Matthew 26, turn there, and we'll be there in a little while. Now, here's a verse. 1 Timothy uh, 6, verses six and seven. Paul's writing, he says this. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Even if you're not a Christian, you understand verse seven is just true. You brought nothing in. We just dedicated some babies this morning, some beautiful babies. You bring nothing into the world and you, when you die, you don't take anything with you. That statement is just true, 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 but the statement before it is equally as true. Godliness with contentment is great Gain. And the reason why I told you that God wants more for you than He wants from you is because this verse could change how you go about living your life. Why? Because for a lot of us, we chase the things that we think will make us happy, and the world is great at telling us what might make us happy. It's just an expert at it and it's bombarding us from every direction. So what would happen if we could disconnect ourselves a little bit and find the things of true substance or true meaning that we could actually get attached to? And so because of the world we live in and you know, I have kids and they're growing up in this world, it's a little bit different. Let me tell you what I see as a pastor and this even affects Christians. It affects all of us in this room. I believe there's a theology of happiness that our world is just kind of agreed to in the rapid advancement of technology and things like that. Well, first of all, let me just start by saying this. Let me share with you some of the technology that I grew up with just a little bit, okay? When I was growing up, when I was hanging out at my grandmother's house, if I wanted to make a phone call, I used one of these things. I wanna show you. You don't know what it's like to do a long distance phone call. When you use a rotary phone, your fingers are bleeding afterwards, and then it costs $500 like to make a long distance call. I mean, that's, that's old school, okay? But- When I was a kid, one of the best presents I had, y'all don't know about this, this is like incredible technology here, something called a speak and spell. Now, speak and spell. I mean, the computer chip in that thing could power up everything from now on. And this was so much fun to have. I'll just share a couple more. Here's the next one I have. This was something that some of y'all probably had when you are growing up. Remember when you actually had to rewind and find the song you wanted to listen to again? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Kids have no idea. And when the CD came out, you're like, you can skip whole songs? This is the best technology ever. The tape, man, the Walkman. I remember, man, I grew up with missionary parents and we would come back to the States and they would travel to raise money at different churches. And the one thing that I had in the backseat of whatever car my parents were borrowing was a Walkman. So my parents would be like, just quiet down, Jeremy, and ride along. And this Walkman got me through a lot of long drives. Here, I I have one more. I actually never had this last one, but deeply wanted it and, and still regret it. Kids today do not know. I mean, that right there. I mean, the Game Boy. And here's, so what's, so technology's advancing, and there's nothing wrong with technology advancing. You know, technology's like money. You know, money's not bad. The love of money is the root of all evil. And money's not bad. It's just a tool. And technology's just a tool. The problem is as pastors, as technology has gone from that to what we have today is this. This has become so ingrained into our lives that this actually begins to affect the way we think about things and our philosophy of how we go about living. And if you're a Christian, I'm here to tell you something. You can't live the way the world lives and follow Jesus. You have to actually make a choice. And by the way, that that choice is gonna become greater and greater as we see things changing around us. And so we have to be conscious about what we choose to believe. Do we believe God's word? Do we believe these things? Now, in the theology of happiness, let me tell you what currently our world says is important. Ready? I see these things over and over again. I've seen things affect me as well. Let me tell you one thing. Here, here's, here's a, here, as technology has advanced, let me tell you one thing. Ready? We've come to believe that whatever makes me happy must be right, and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. I mean, this is just happening over and over again. And, and, and by the way, it's just everywhere. We have given up being able to discern right from wrong, evil in the world, to now whatever feels good is gotta be okay. And that's the theology of happiness. If you wanna be happy, then you must feel good. It's, it's an incredible thing that we've come to adopt and believe in. I don't have to explain that more. You guys get it. Let me tell you another thing about happiness. Ready? Discomfort. Delay, risk, suffering, inconveniences, and obstacles can't be God's will. If we believe that the highest priority of our life, and I think a lot of people would believe this, the way, the way our TV shows are wired, you have to have a happy ending. The way we think about things, everything has to be in a happy place. We desire, and by the way, no one wakes up and says, I just wanna be miserable today. So a lot of us, by the way, we wanna be happy. We think the end goal in life is to be happy, and if the end goal is to be happy, then I've gotta do the things that make me happy. But when it comes to following God, if we apply that theology to God, then we would say, well, then there's no way that God can be in discomfort, there's no way that God can be in delay, or risk, or suffering, and conveniences." The problem is, is that when you open up this word with our current way of thinking about happiness, there's an imbalance. It doesn't make sense, because you see lots of people suffer, risk, wait. So where's God in the midst of this? All right, let's go one more, ready? Without realizing it, we can begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. And that's the the crux of the matter. We don't have modern day idols, actually there are in the world, but we in our country, we don't necessarily have modern day idols. We don't bow down to, to Baal or to Um, you name Molech, the different gods of the Old Testament. We don't have those things. But I promise you, as a nation and as a people, we certainly have comfort, pleasure, entertainment, all of these things, all of the things. The next thing that you can get, these are things that we desire. Why? Because again, we think that these are the things that are gonna make us happy. Now, please understand me. This is a critical message for all of us. And because if, okay, let me put you this way. Imagine, by the way, Dr. Pepper's an incredible soda. I'm gonna tie this in in a second. Dr. Pepper's wonderful. That was actually created close to the beginning in Genesis before the fall. I want you to know. (laughs) And I have since discovered another flavor of soda, which is uh, black cherry soda, which is incredible. And I don't know why it took me this long to discover, but lately I've been going crazy with black cherry soda. Anyway, imagine that there's a cosmic soda dispensing machine. And that cosmic soda dispensing machine, you go to it, you say, you know what? I'm gonna put my money in, and now they can take your credit card reader, by the way. This is a side note. I've had a lot of different jobs in my life. One of the craziest jobs I ever had was I actually was a telemarketer for a week. A week, because after that, I was done. And my job was to push out credit cards everywhere. Anyway, hey, come on, come on, guys. Let's do it, do it, do it. Read a whole script. And now, soda machines take credit cards. Can you, I mean, anyway. sorry, moving on. I got 17 minutes, let's do it. So, where was I? I? I looked at 17 minutes and I panicked a little bit. Soda. Cosmic soda machine, ready? So then you go to the soda machine, you put your money in, you're gonna say, I want my black cherry, I want my Dr. Pepper, and then out comes the the, the soda that you want, and you're like, oh, this is great. If we approach God with that same mentality that God is here to make us happy, then he's just a giant cosmic soda machine. I want you to see, because again, if happiness is the end goal for us, that we must be this, then it's God's job to then make us happy. I want you to see that where this this leads us is this, is that God's sole purpose, his existence, is to serve me. If we put happiness as the priority, then we lower God to be our servant. And how many people have walked away from God because he has not made them happy? And that's the theology of happiness. Why does the enemy want us to think that happiness is the end goal of everything? Why, because if we think that we're only here to be happy and God's not making us happy, God has faltered. He has failed somewhere along the way. Now, I'm telling you, God wants more for you than he wants from you. And I'm not, listen, and by the way, Psalm says that, that God, when we take our delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our hearts. If you delight in God, is what Psalm says, by the way, if you delight in God, that means you spend time with God and he changes how you see things. The things that you delight in become very different when you delight in God. But you delight in things. My point though is this, is we've elevated happiness so high, now God is reduced so low and now he only exists to be a cosmic soda machine giving us the things that we think are gonna actually give us what we want. And I'm here to tell you something, God loves you enough not to be a cosmic soda machine. He cares actually about you being blessed. He cares actually about you being holy. He cares about you actually experiencing life to the fullness of what it was meant to be. Now, I want you to, my my son has been playing flag football with the Y and getting ready to to, uh, start a new season and excited for him to be out there and it's way better because it's cooler than it was in the spring slash summertime. It was a thousand degrees outside. And uh, anyway, I'm excited about this time of year to be able to watch him play football. But I remember uh, this last season's first time playing football and uh, my son got a pick six and he was playing defense, ball was thrown and I always thought, okay, so first of all, let me say this, my mom, when I was, grew up, I played sports, my mom was the loudest parent in the stands. She called me Big J from the stands, and I had to tell her mom. I shouldn't have said that, because now I feel like some staff are gonna be calling me Big J. I heard Gabe say something, and that's not gonna go well for me in the long term. So, I, my mom would call me Big J and my buddies, when they heard that, they started calling me Big J in school. Hey, go Big J. Now, I had to talk to my mom and be like, mom, don't call me Big J because you're ruining, you know, I gotta be Cool J, not Big J. <laughs> Actually, I'll, anyway, okay, sorry. Rain it in today, Jeremy. And so I'm watching my son and I'm having flashbacks. I'm like, I'm not, gonna be I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be calm, cool, and collected. But the moment my son got a pick six, I went Ballistic. I didn't call him Go Big C for Caleb, but I was like, man, I'm so proud. When, okay, so that's part A. I believe that God actually takes delight when we experience great things in this life. So he takes joy in those things. When my son got a pick six, I as a dad, I was so happy, I was excited. I'm like, oh man, look at him. Now for a second, imagine that after he got the pick six, he goes to the other team's line And he gives them some gestures which are completely inappropriate ever. And he starts taunting them, woo! I as a dad would go from being excited for my son to being like, we're gonna talk. And it's gonna be a sit-down conversation and I'm gonna correct some things in your behavior. God cares about us being happy, but not more than he cares about us being whole. And if we only focus on happiness, we miss God's true agenda. He actually cares about you being whole, about you being made right, about you finding the things that carry significance. Now, I would be so happy for my son, so this isn't a feel guilty about the things that you like and enjoy, this isn't that message. But it is to say this, if we place happiness above God, we are missing the very essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we miss out on so much that God actually has for us. Can I just tell you something? There's a difference, there is a difference between using God and glorifying him. And when we elevate our happiness, now God becomes the one who we use. And I'm here to correct that for all of us, including myself today. We can't tie our happiness as the ultimate end goal. Why? Because we are created, do you know why? To glorify him. Let me give you a quote, this is from Henry Blackaby, and this is gonna set us in where we're going for the rest of this message, ready? If you know that God loves you, you should never ever question a directive from him. So I want you to know that God actually likes us being blessed, he likes us being happy, but what I also want you to know is that he is much more concerned with us being whole. Now, in 1 Peter chapter one, Peter's gonna be writing and he's gonna say some things and I think they're significant to where we are in this message and where we are, actually where we are as a culture. And I want us to dive in in verse 13. These are gonna be on the screen and then we're gonna see Matthew chapter 26. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You must live as God's obedient children, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then. But you, but now you must be holy in everything that you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy for I am holy. Can we just stop here for a second? When I was growing up in church, I always thought holy meant boring. Anyone? No? Okay. I'm just being honest with you. I thought holy meant boring. Holy simply means this, set apart. It really just means different. I I want you to think of the word holy in a different way. All of the good things come from God who is holy. He is set apart. We just did a series about prayer. In other words, God is set apart from all of the evil that wants to come against you. So when it says holy, I want you to think, good, right, right. Excellence, Things that actually are for your benefit. And, and Peter writes and he says, man, you need to be set apart. Don't go back to your old life. Now, this is nice language from Peter and it sounds so wonderful and let's not go back to our old way of living and it's beautiful and it's right there. But I want you to know something, that for Peter himself, he had his own crisis he had to navigate through. A moment in his life where he had to, to realize or to recognize the things that actually meant most to him with who he was, as a man and as a person. Which is where I want us to turn. I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. We just read in 1 Peter 1, these great, that great passage, talking about being holy and not going back into old way of doing things. But we're gonna dive into the middle of the story in the moment before Jesus is crucified. And this is Peter. Not writing his incredible passage that we just finished reading. This is Peter in a moment of his life of incredible despair and darkness. And in Matthew 26, all the way towards the end, in verse 57, God's word says, and then the people who had come to arrest Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the religious law and elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and he came to the high priest's courtyard and he went in and he sat with the guards and he waited to see how it all would end. Let me stop there for a second. I had the chance to go to Israel in 2018 and you can actually visit Caiaphas' house. And there's a lot of people online but I was able to get a picture. It's not a great picture but I'm gonna show you a picture. This is one that I took. It's in a basement of a house and it's got a very dungeon-like feel to it. So Jesus is arrested and he gets led to Caiaphas' house and he's gonna be put on trial and we just finished reading that Peter, who just wrote the passage that we just read, He's saying, listen, don't go back to your old way of living and thinking. He follows Jesus at a distance. And he's waiting, how are things gonna end? Now what you have to understand is that just a couple of verses before this, Jesus tells Peter that he's gonna deny him. Peter says, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, well, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter, I will never deny you. And you have to understand, Peter sold his business, he left everything to actually follow Jesus. And he saw Jesus do incredible miracles and he was blown away. Up until the moment that he sits in Caiaphas' house, Peter is thinking, Jesus is gonna be the one that I can attach my happiness to. Jesus is the one that I can follow and believe in, except what, what is happening to Jesus is not what I expected to happen because he's in a dungeon in the high priest's house and they're going to be prosecuting him. And so Peter, who gave everything to follow him, is having this inner turmoil and wondering, what do I do with this information? Jesus is going to probably be killed and he's unsure how it's going to play out, but it's not looking good. And everything that he hoped for, everything that he believed is crumbling in front of his eyes. And he has this unbelievable internal pain. Unbelievable internal pain of trying to understand or believe or understand what is happening around me. Now, I'd obviously, let me just say this. Some of us in this room have been in a moment in our life with our faith where we've also experienced deep, 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 deep pain where we have to get to the bottom of what do we really believe and how are we actually gonna live. This week is actually the week in which Renovation Church as a whole turns eight years old. We started in October, this Sunday, all the way back in 2014. And what you may not know is that in 2013, before Renovation Church ever existed, I was at a place in my life where I was going through some of the deepest pain I have ever experienced ever, now ever. And I've been open about some stories in my life. I was sexually abused when I was a kid. So I've experienced some pain. But in 2013, I went through the most grinding and grueling moment of my faith. Let me, let me give you just a quick little snapshot. It would put my kids to bed and I wouldn't sleep at night. And in 2013, I would get so angry with God and upset with him, my wife would be praying for me and I didn't even wanna hear her prayers. By the way, I'm, I'm in ministry and I'm in deep pain I would get up and I would go into the bonus room and I would, I would actually feel like I was fighting air but I was fighting God. Has anyone been in a place like that before? Anyone? A couple of us? And I couldn't see the future, how it ever would pan out or play out. And yet, so when I read this passage of Peter, it, it, it's like this incredible cost. Peter's there and he's seeing everything crumble right in front of him. And he's like, How am I going to make it through this? And what am I going to do? And how do I live through this? And back in 2013, there was no way that I could understand. In my mind, I'm like, How am I going to make it through this? I want to walk away. I want to quit. I want to give up. It's pointless. It's meaningless. I hate every aspect about this. I mean, the deepest pain I've ever experienced. And I had to put my happiness to the side and I discovered something in that deep, dark place, which I have found to be true over and over again. Ready? God doesn't want us to pursue happiness. He wants us to pursue him. And in that place when I wanted to give up, and in that place where I wasn't sure if it was enough, I realized Jesus is enough for me. Even if everything gets worse, even if everything breaks down, his presence is enough to sustain me. His presence was enough. Even when I was angry with him, God didn't strike me down with lightning bolts. He actually cared for me and he sent people into my life to love me. My point is is that I discovered something that there's a shift. You can't live for happiness. By the way, happiness is fleeting anyway. Most of us know this. You, you, You chase after something and it's only for a moment. And in that place, when I wanted to walk away, God came to where I was and I had to make a decision and I said, okay, God, I choose you in this place. I choose you in the song that we sang right before I came up. It's only you, Jesus. And that's a choice we have to make in this place. The world is gonna put up happiness as a marker and Jesus is gonna stand and say, do you see me in the midst of this world? I am here and I am ready to lead you into better things. So if you keep reading Matthew chapter 26, um, you can do all of this, you know, what ends up happening is that they're gonna put Jesus to death. Peter actually does what Jesus said he would do and he denies him. But then Jesus does, after he resurrects one of the most beautiful things, Jesus goes and he looks after Peter and he says, Peter, by the way, at the resurrection scene, he tells two of the women who found him, go tell the disciples, and it says this, and Peter, that I am raised from the dead. It's one of the most beautiful phrases. Why? Because after Jesus is resurrected, let's make sure that Peter, who denied Jesus and followed Jesus at a distance, knows that I am alive again and I have a plan I'm not done. So Jesus hears this and he still can't quite believe it. And then in John 21, you read how Jesus comes to Peter and Jesus brings Peter back to life. Peter, uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And then Jesus brings him back and redeems Peter. And so Peter goes through this life-altering moment where he follows Jesus at a distance and he's not sure if he's gonna make it, but then Jesus resurrects and Jesus brings Peter back and so Peter gets transformed by his, by, by his very own presence. For me in my life, today we celebrate it, today's eight years. And I think back to where I was in 2013 when I wanted to walk away and God said, I am with you, I will never leave you and I will forsake you. And I held on with every fiber of my being and I would have never guessed all the way eight years ago, or that was nine years ago at that point, that God would lead us to start Renovation Church and that today we would have two locations. Last week we met at Monaghan Baptist all the way in Berea. You may not know where Berea was. I still don't know where Berea is. I somehow made it there and made it out of there. Multiple churches in the upstate, we came together. We worshiped and proclaimed the name of God. And do you know how beautiful it was? We celebrated what God is doing in the upstate. I mean, I'm telling you, it was incredible. And we had the opportunity to be part of that. Churches and pastors proclaiming the gospel. Our worship team helping lead worship for this group of people. And as I sat there last week, do you know what I said? How beautiful it is to see the church of God come together and to worship the thing that matters most, which is not happiness, it's Jesus And he stands and Peter goes through this and he says, don't go back into the old world. It's shiny and it's nice and lights are everywhere and it's moving, yes. Listen, I'm here to tell you, the relief that you need is not found in the next Netflix episode that you watch. It's found in Jesus. The thing that's gonna motivate you is gonna be found in his word. It's gonna be found in his presence in worship. The thing that you need for your marriage, for your kids is found in God's presence. He is better than you could imagine. And so, As we celebrate eight years and and I look at all that God has done and I think about the moment in my life like Peter had in his. But you know Peter, Peter actually said okay, I'm gonna hold on, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna believe. The Lord brought Peter back. So let's go back to first Peter. I want you to see, these verses are gonna be on the screen. After Peter writes about being holy, he then goes back and, he say, and then he keeps writing, he says this. And remember that your heavenly father, uh, heavenly father whom you pray to has no favorites. By the way, I think he's like, whew. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents, for you know that God has paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. In the moment that we read in Matthew, Peter couldn't have imagined that Jesus dying and going into Caiaphas' prison and then dying on the cross would be the very best thing that has ever happened in the history of ever. He would have never seen it in the moment. He couldn't have. But now, in retrospect, he declares, Be holy. Why? Because God set a path, He made a way. And then verse 18, for for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from this empty life. Sorry, I already read that. Okay, let's read it again though because I'm already there. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from this empty life which you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. Ready? It was paid by the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless, Lamb of God, and I wonder when he was writing this if he remembered the moment where he was in the dungeon with Caiaphas where he followed at a distance and he saw Jesus, the very son of God, give his life so that we would realize that there's more than just being happy. There's being redeemed. There's being made whole. And then verse 21, through Christ you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. So, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm gonna pray over you as we wrap up this service. And I'm gonna do kind of a different prayer. I actually wanna do a prayer as you guys have your head bowed and eyes closed, that as you go into this world, the world is gonna try and sell you on all kinds of things that are gonna be distracting and shiny and different and new. My prayer is that you would not miss on the one true God. Don't go back into your old way. Delight in him. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for all the people in this room of all ages, backgrounds, experiences, and stories. As we leave church today and go into our life and go into our homes and go with our families and go into our jobs and the different things that we are involved in, I pray right now that your word written long before we ever lived, would speak directly to our hearts today in a world that wants us, God, to be distracted by comfort and pleasure and things. May we not be so distracted that we miss the very best thing, which is you, a God who comforts and restores and heals, who transforms and makes whole a God who we can walk with and know and listen to and worship. May the highest priority of our life no longer be happiness, Jesus, but may the highest priority of our life be you. And may we not miss, Jesus, the very best of who you are while we are here. And may we not slip into worldly ways of doing things may we not attach our happiness to temporary, momentary moments, but may we attach it to you. And may we declare, as Peter said, Lord, that we would strive, Lord, to be holy, for you are holy. We thank you for this, God. So we go into the world different. We interact with the world different because of you. We love you, Jesus, we thank you for today your wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at renovation.church.